Hi there, I'm Colin Weston, host of the Mod Golf Podcast. For our final episode of Season 4, I traveled to the PGA 2018 Fashion and Demo Experience in Las Vegas, which is held over three days every year in August. Although smaller in size than the January PGA show in Orlando, this vibrant event coincides with Las Vegas International Fashion Week and is a trade-only event where PGA and golf industry professionals come together in a relaxed and intimate setting. They preview the latest apparel, accessories, equipment, training aids and technology while participating in a comprehensive education program taught by world-class industry experts. I was invited by Reed Exhibitions, who organized and staged the PGA shows, to be part of the educational speaker series to talk about how to create a culture of entrepreneurship and innovation within the golf industry. I figured since I'll be there for a couple of days, why not give you a behind the scenes look at what goes on? I'll share with you the best and most innovative companies I found on the show floor, ranging from scrappy new startups to established industry players who are embracing an innovative entrepreneurial culture to unlock new customers. I arrived in Las Vegas on Monday afternoon and quickly checked in before heading over to the Venetian Hotel. There I picked up my show pass while the exhibitors were busy setting up for the next morning. I made my way down to the bus drop-off where shuttles were leaving every 15 minutes to take us over to Topgolf located behind the MGM Grand for the demo experience. If you're unfamiliar with Topgolf or want to learn more about them, I recommend listening to our very first podcast episode later on. A typical Topgolf facility, and there's over 40 of them now, is three stories high with 102 hitting bays. Topgolf Las Vegas literally takes it to another level as their flagship venue adds a fourth level that features cabanas, VIP rooms, and a pool. The PGA Show demo experience took over the entire ground level with over 30 exhibitors ranging from club manufacturers to upstart apparel companies like Mizzen and Maine, who you'll learn more about later. As I walked around the packed event, I ran into several previous guests for a quick catch-up, but my mission was to find a startup led by a passionate entrepreneur to hear their story. After many conversations, I found what I was looking for. My name is Megan Coburn and I am the CEO of Party Golf, the Golfers Network. So Megan, tell me about Party Golf. There's other things I want to talk about, but tell us what we're doing here today at the PGA Fashion and Demo Experience at Top Golf here. Absolutely. Party is a social golfing app aimed primarily at golfers, allowing golfers to network with courses and the pros who work there. We have the ability for any golfer nationwide to sign into our app free through the Apple App Store and create an account with special golf metrics such as their home course and their handicap. This allows golfers to find each other based on where they like to play and how well they play. The pain point for me is quite painful. To say the least, it was humiliating. I went on my first golf excursion as part of a date in my late 20s, and I called the sand bunker the sandbox. I didn't get a repeat date from that gentleman, but I had a wonderful time and I loved the sport and I became really invested in finding a way to play more golf. But as a single mother, as a busy woman, as someone who had to be wise about how much I invested in beginning a new activity, I found that getting into the sport was very difficult without the knowledge of the etiquette, without having friends who already played. I found myself struggling to participate as much as I wanted in the time I had available to me. Got it. So what are you finding your demographic? Because there are other apps out there. So what's your secret sauce? Are you looking that you're really finding a younger audience, people that don't play much golf already, or women, or all the above? So what net are you casting to find your customers and your fans? I'm casting two nets. I'm casting a net for the new golfer. We have features in our app, such as 30-second lessons, that allow them to get a little edge on the course, or if they're facing their first really tough shot of a particular nature, they can track down a 30-second lesson within our app to help them approach that shot. But we're also targeting the more experienced golfer through a near-me feature that allows them to roll into town on a golf trip, a vacation, any day of the week, and press a button and see which members of their golf network are near, available, and ready to golf. So Megan, while you're talking here, I'm looking down and I'm seeing, I guess what looks like a coloring book. There's got to be a story there. Can you tell me about this, please? There absolutely is. Among the American population, children of minorities and girls especially are most at risk to not be involved in a sport, especially like golf, that has a higher barrier to entry for both knowledge and cost. And so to make an effort to grow the game and to counter that sad fact, I have collaborated with a coloring book company called Artfully Educated, run out of my home state, to create the Introduction to Golf Coloring Book. And it covers a lot of the information and basics of the sport that would otherwise be a pain point or a knowledge barrier for someone who was not naturally exposed to it growing up. 
And while we have the book available for sale, it is also available via digital copy for free to anyone who chooses to contact us through our Party Golf website or the Artfully Educated website requesting a copy in order to allow children everywhere to learn more about the game of golf as soon as possible. I love it. I, you're just flipping through that for me right now, and it's beautiful. It's beautifully done, and yeah, this is such a, an elegantly simple idea. It's like, why hasn't someone done this beforehand? So a great initiative that you're doing in conjunction with Party. so congratulations on that. Thank you so much. Just to wrap up here, so that our listeners, our mod golfers, know where they can find out more about Party. here. Tell us where they can find you on the internets. We are available in the Apple App Store and also at party.golf, and you can follow us on social media through any venue you choose with the handle Party Golfers. Why don't you spell it for our good listeners there? Oh, absolutely. Who can resist a good pun? P-A-R-T-E-E, -E, Party. Boom, done. Megan, thanks so much for your time today. Good to see you. And Bobby over there in a, in a very, very beguiling kilt, showing off a little bit of leg there. Just showing that with party, they obviously like to have fun. So I can already see the culture, but just meeting you guys, you guys got a good vibe going on. So thanks so much for speaking to me today. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having us. After staying up way too late reworking the presentation slide deck for my Tuesday afternoon speaking engagement, I got up early to hit the exhibit floor and interview the most innovative companies there. I'm not going to name names here and throw anyone under the bus, but there were plenty of quirky golf and non-golf offerings that suffered from that startup problem of creating a solution that was looking for a problem. I wish these people well, but as an entrepreneur and startup coach, I've seen this approach all too often, where someone falls in love with an idea without determining if they're eliminating a pain point that customers will actually pay for. The first couple of entrepreneurs I spoke to did not fall into this trap, as they understand the problem that they are solving or the market segment that they can tap into. Jeff Combs, the company's Range Ball Golf. We started Range Ball just recently, actually, and it really came out of a reconnection with a college buddy of mine, Kevin Zinniel, who is the founder and CEO of Range Ball. Kevin had an idea, an inspiration from which I still don't quite understand, but he looked up <laughs> the trademark for Range Ball and found that the actual mark itself, the registration on the trademark had expired. And so he quickly snatched it up and acquired it and he connected with me about wanting to do something around that brand. And we've always been looking at ways to start a business and get active uh, from an entrepreneurial standpoint. And my background prior to partnering with Kevin was in brand building, doing creative design, product sourcing, product development, developing e-commerce experiences, shooting and building content around brands to drive engagement through social that would really drive content to commerce. And so we have a service that does all of those things and provides fulfillment, customer service, the product development, the direct marketing, all those things. So we applied those to the Range Ball concept and it's a iconic, a nostalgic brand that we think fits well with the trend and what's happening in other sectors of retail today. Good stuff, Jeff. So, Kevin, I'm going to pass it over to you. So, of course, we're on a podcast here, so we have to paint pictures with words here. So, could you tell us a bit more about the, that aha moment and dig into your why of why you created Rangeball and where you see the market opportunity? Of course, there's a lot of apparel out there. What separates you guys apart and who is your target market here and what type of response you've got out of the gate early with Rangeball? Definitely. So I actually am a member at a club by my house and I was playing in a golf tournament and prior to teeing off, all the guys are standing around. There's 120 guys. I look around and I'd say 80 of them had the same Titleist hat on and khaki pants and white shirts. And it was kind of odd to me that we all looked alike and we all were wearing the same exact companies. And I was like, there's got to be something out there that could be a little different or just kind of bring more fun to the game and not being so serious. And, you know, there's a lot of guys that are 15 plus handicaps that like to smoke cigars, have a beer, have a cocktail, don't really care what they shoot. They're out there to have a good time, and that's kind of the foundation, the core of what hopefully Range Ball brings to the table. And look at what the, you have here with your apparel. It is very relaxed and comfortable, and it's what I love about this. It is, has a timeless feel to it also. It isn't going to go out of style in a year from now. So how did you see, let's say, compared to, let's say, uh, a Travis Matthew? You've obviously taken this to another level, and you're not looking to compete with them. I guess early on, as far as what we call product market fit, how have you found already who's loving Range Ball? It's interesting. So when you 
look at a range ball, you have two red stripes basically is at the core of what a range ball is. And we receive emails all over the world, which it's weird that these two red lines transcend language and transcend borders that people recognize the two red stripes. So we extended that partnering with Jeff to build out a collection of hats that encompasses the two red lines. And again, it's just bizarre to me that it resonates with people on a global level that they email and say, I used that ball when I was eight years old and now here we are 40 years later and it's still, we're trying to bring it back and trying to, again, create a little culture around it. But we have hoodies, we've got long sleeve tees, we got short sleeve tees. We came out with a location collection, which I think is really cool and different. We've been getting a lot of positive feedback on and then we have a line of performance polos and then we have some quarter zips as well. Good stuff. Well, Jeff, Kevin, a couple of awesome entrepreneurs. These are the stories we love to tell on the Mod Golf Podcast. Thanks for your time today, guys. Appreciate it, and best of luck at the show. Excellent. Thank you. You can check us out at rangeballgolf.com for the whole collection online and e-com shop, all right? Thanks for sneaking that in there, Jeff, before I asked you. Hey, i got to take a couple of pictures here for our listeners, so in the show notes they can see the fabulous apparel that these range ball guys are putting together. All right. Thanks, guys. I am talking to Steve Fluke with Easy Golf, who I saw last night at the demo day out at Top Golf. So, without explaining the awesome, innovative thing that solves some pain points in the golf market, I'm going to let Steve tell us the story. Well, Easy Golf was started like uh, a lot of inventions in a garage, and our concept was to build a club that could make golf accessible and inclusive for everyone. So, it's a swing free golf club, no swing required. You can hit it from 50 up to 225 yards. You can fade or draw the ball with the club. And it's really designed, again, for people who are physically unable to swing a golf club any longer, be them they have a bad shoulder, a bad hip, or a bad back, or they've had an experience of stroke. A number of reasons prevents people from playing golf, so we're able to get them back in the game. I love this. And in the show notes, I will have some pictures, and I'll put some links onto the, the video of how this works. But, Steve, I've got to have you describe here how the club actually works here. So why don't you start with that, Steve? Sure. It's a powder-actuated technology, so we use actually a gunpowder strip. It feeds through the club. There's a series of chambers that open and close, which control the yardage, which you can hit from 50 up to 225 yards. That's basically the mechanics behind the club, and you can see it at ezeegolf.com for more pictures and videos. Great stuff. So also like to hear as an entrepreneur, what was that aha moment? Is this something that personally you looked at as a solution to quite literally a pain point, not even metaphorically in this case here, this actually is people in pain. I guess also for wounded warriors also, can you talk a bit about that? Are you involved, do you have partnerships with PGA Hope and other groups here that are helping you get the word out and getting the Easy Golf Club in the hands of golfers that really need this and want to stay in the game? Yeah, we work and partner with a number of associations, organizations, that support the disabled. We also work with the VA and the Veterans Golf Association. So really any golfer that has experienced some sort of a life-changing event that precludes them from playing golf, we're doing our best to get them back on the golf course. I love hearing stories, and I've got a feeling, Steve, you probably have more stories of putting smiles back on people's faces when they actually get back on the golf course. Can you share just one story that really resonates with you of someone that gave up golf and you've helped resurrect their love for the game? We have clients all over the world, but one coincidentally here at Las Vegas, uh, Cliff Finley. He was a big-time basketball player in college, and as the years moved on, he ended up with knees that were so bad he could not play golf anymore. So he actually had quit for about three years. He heard about this, got a club, and in his very first round out, coincidentally, he made a hole-in-one. And he loves it, and he's out there playing very regularly now. Now, how do you find this? Because when I saw you demonstrating this, it since it is based on gunpowder, it is loud. So how has it worked with you onboarding with golf courses, the fact there actually is the sound of the golf club in action? So how have you managed to get in front of that to make sure the golf courses welcome players that are using your club rather than not wanting to get you involved because there is that noise factor? Well, actually, the noise is no louder than hitting a titanium driver. It appears to be louder because there's an anticipation in a regular golf swing. This just comes out of the blue and hits the shot. But no, that was our number one concern, that it wouldn't disturb other golfers out on the golf course. So there's really not a noise factor. 
Great answer. Good stuff. Now I'm going to put on my nerdy technical hat on here because I'm just looking at this from an engineering and design point of view. Can you tell me the early prototyping of the actual club and how many years you've been at this and how many iterations to get this product to market? It was a uh, engineering feat because it had to be quiet, accurate, easy to use and reliable and all at the same time it's and internally it's uh, there's an implosion going on yeah it was quite a challenge and this is probably our sixth or seventh iteration that we've moved into mass production and we've been shipping now for about 18 months throughout the u.s canada and well actually throughout the world and i'm interested in how you actually found your price point here find that sweet spot maybe you can talk to that and also how much one of these clubs actually cost you well, the cost of the club is $9.95, but this is basically a full set of clubs in one because you can hit all your length shots. So this, a wedge and a putter, you can play any golf course in the world. This is now your new full set of clubs would be easy golf club, a wedge and a putter, and uh, you're on your way. So obviously you need to reload with the power strips, and each power strip has five cartridges in it, five shots in it. So how do you go about doing that? Is that something that you exclusively offer, or is that something that someone else takes care of as a third-party vendor, or is that part of what you offer with EasyGolf? We actually handle that. It's all handled online. It's very, very simple. We have also a monthly subscription program. You can order seven play packs for seven rounds of golf or 14 play packs for 14 rounds of golf. So that handles that part of it. So Steve Fluke, the CMO and co-founder of Easy Golf, love what you're doing here. You are an entrepreneur in the truest sense of the word. So before we go, let our listeners know how they can find out more in social media and also where they can find Easy Golf. Yeah, we're all over the social media. It's again, the letter E, letter Z, letter E, letter E, golf. So E-Z-E-E-Golf.com or 800-717-GOLF. Our operators are standing by. Hey Steve, pleasure to meet you. Thanks so much for this. What I love about Steve Fluke's Easy Golf Design Solution is the elegantly simple user interface that puts those with acute or chronic physical disabilities back on the golf course to enjoy the game they love. At the Top Golf demo experience, people were lined up to try the Easy Golf Club, with dozens more shooting video and taking pictures. I think it's fair to conclude that Steve has found an audience for Easy Golf. If you've listened to some of our previous episodes, you'll know that I've so far interviewed four ladies from the LPGA Women's Network of 22 disruptive women who are spearheading a revolution in golf. My goal is to eventually have all of them on as guests, so when I was told that one of them was at the show, I hustled over to her booth and asked for an interview. So I am at the booth of Joe Fit, and I have Joe with me now. So Joe, tell me about your entrepreneurial journey and tell me about Joe Fit. First of all, are you Canadian? I am. Ah, where are you from? I grew up in Toronto, but I live in Vancouver. I'm from Calgary. What? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. I married an American. <laughs> I tricked him into marrying me, had three kids, and we've been married 36 years. He has no clue it was just for a green card. <laughs> Dumbass. Too late now. <laughs> oh, can we curse? Because I curse a lot. Absolutely. Okay, good. There we go. Good Calgary girl, All right. right? You're, yes. There we go. Yeah, an old hockey player. Tell me about yourself and tell me about Joe Fit. Okay. So I started Joe Fit... 12 years ago now, I was a phys ed teacher. I grew up in Calgary, played a lot of hockey, softball, volleyball, went to college in the States to play softball, met my husband who was a football player, got married in Utah, ended up in Pennsylvania, and I was a phys ed teacher. Had three kids and my youngest son was a golfer. So I never saw him, sun up to sundown. So I finally started hitting balls just to go see him, just to spend time with him. And I got addicted like everybody else does. Started playing a lot of golf and was really frustrated. 12 years ago, there weren't the options there are now. Now there's a lot of really good options. I started buying apparel from every lifestyle brand, not necessarily golf brands, and was so frustrated with certain little things that I kept thinking, this isn't rocket science for Christ's sakes. Give me a shirt that is long enough for a swing. Give me an armhole that isn't so big you can see my sleevage flowing out of my bra and my bra. Some of the armholes were so big. Give me a wider waistband and don't make the top of the waistband so tight that I get muffin top at the top. And please, dear God, put some rear pockets on it. So you can't see my cellulite through my pants. And then, you know what? Why don't we set those pockets low, tilt them in, So my ass looks higher and narrower. And everything we do from rear darts in the shirts to the shirt tail of the shirt, if you untuck to make your leg look longer, is to make you feel and look your best. You want to look thinner. Just let me look thinner. I'm an athlete. 
I don't want to fuss. I don't want to tuck and retuck so a shirt tail stays tucked in. I want an armhole that I don't have to keep pulling to cover that armpit ass that's coming out. I, I need a lot of pockets and I walk when I golf, right? Sometimes I would put clothes on and think, who fit this and went, yep, good, go to production. Yeah, and I know nothing about apparel. I couldn't hem a pair of pants. I didn't know a knit from a woven. I just knew what I wanted in a fit. And even as a phys ed teacher, I would wear those swishy nylon pants that I'd roll the waistband down about four times till I looked like I was wearing a trash bag. I was so frustrated, I, I kept thinking, this is common sense. So I went to New York and I found a pattern maker and I found fabric and I had samples made. I thought I was gonna launch this at the PGA show. And the samples were horrendous and the fabric was horrendous. So where I live just outside of Philadelphia is a manufacturing company called Notations and they have a massive headquarters there where their warehousing is and all their design and sample room and everything. So I thought I'll go ask them, they'll tell me. Yeah. <laughs> what an idiot. So I knock on the door and they tell me, yeah, you can't come in, this secure building. So I went home and put on a dress and heels and walked around the back of the chain link fence. And when the UPS driver pulled in, I walked behind the truck and walked up the dock steps and walked through the warehouse. Nobody stopped me and went into the building and asked for the production manager. I walked in his office and sat down and he looks up and he goes, who the hell are you and how'd you get in here? And I went, can you help me find a factory in China and I need a mill? And He's now a great friend of mine. Right. So he gave me names. That's where I started in China. And women, it's like crack. So if you get a pair of my pants on, what other color does it come in? Like, holy shit, I have an ass. This looks awesome, you know? <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> well, that's quite the answer there. I think, that was, I think that was one of the best intros ever there, Joe. So thanks for that. And for my listeners, I think I definitely want to have Joe on next season for a full podcast. So everything that you've heard here, I'm not going to use all of it. It's awesome. This is gold, but I want to save some for our full podcast later. So Joe, tell me here, can you describe for our listeners the Joe Fit aesthetic and the look and the feel? Oh, good. So it's taken me a while to understand that not everybody has my aesthetic, right? The first few years was just things I like. But we definitely are a little more athletic. We're not going to be too foofy or too much prints. We like a print. I personally like a print on the bottom but not on the top. But you're always going to find a stripe, like something a little more athletic. You're always going to find a collar that is functional. This hides the side of my neck. I'm out in the sun way too much and I'm 56 years old and it's, I'm starting to grow barnacles everywhere. It's disgusting. And it costs a freaking fortune to keep up with it. So. Everything has a purpose. Even though it looks like an aesthetic, it's usually for a functional purpose. Gotcha. Yeah. I could probably talk to you for hours here, but I'm going to leave it at that because I know you got people queuing up here because you have more buyers that want to sit down and buy some Joe Fit. So I will let you get back to business here on the last day of the PGA show. So, Joe, thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate this. It's been awesome. Meet you. I just love Joanna Cloak's entrepreneurial journey and humorous, candid, no-nonsense delivery. As I said, Joe will be joining me in a couple months for a full episode to tell us her complete story. We're going to take a short break to hear another golf tech story from our Season 4 title sponsor. This one's going to be a bit different, as this time you'll hear my personal golf tech story. When we return, I'll be speaking to a gentleman at the PGA show who credits golf for saving his life. So, how was the week? Well, the week was pretty good. Still working through the shanks. But I played the other day and I didn't shank one once, so that was good. So that was the sound of a high five, by the way. That everybody. is awesome, though, right? Like, that's a, it's not a small step. For our listeners, I've had a bit of shankitis. I played golf for over 30 years and I've never shanked a ball. So this is a work in progress. It's a long-term thing, as we know, Norman here. Well, let's hit some balls and see how we're doing to see if I've got rid of that demon. Yeah, right. it's always it's a bit of the golf karma to try to think it's gone. If you've been around golf long enough, hey, I got it. I figured it out. It's a better idea to think that the swing's working, almost if you imagine a functional wave. Yes. And the better you are, the bigger your functional area. And with a better golf swing, with better habits, your functional part of that swing increases on both ends. Anytime you're outside, it doesn't feel good. Right. We're making it more likely that you hit good shots. The more likely you hit good shots, it's more likely you're gonna have a lot more fun. That's, it's a very simple mathematic equation, <laughs> yes. Better shots, 
equals lower scores equals more fun yeah. and more enjoyment. Last week we gave the strong medicine of like how to correct the bad shots. Did you hit some balls at the range that way at all? Or I any, any practice? Technique. What Norman did last week is I was shaking the ball with my wedges is that I set up two balls and I set up on the outside ball and the inside ball was about two inches inside of that and then set up on the outside ball and hit the inside ball which seemed super hard but it forced me to make sure my swing plane actually stayed on the inside yeah and it worked so to answer the question what i did the entire round i never put two balls down but i set up yes. outside of that and then brought it inside so i Perfect. stayed a little bit closer to the ball even this that positive reinforcement of that as you said that that strong medicine, strong medicine strong medicine there yeah, some of the things you mentioned last week that worked out really well was the difference that your arms felt closer to you. Yes. Right, that feeling of tighter, that the arms were tighter to the body, pulling in. So that's the opposite. Instead of the shank getting closer to the ball, we're pulling in. That you know, If you watch the video even here, to the top, your butt stays on that tush line at the top, yes. right? And then hand path, hand path stayed more in line and didn't reach out for that golf ball. And what, what I love here, golf tech, is I am a visual learner. Most of my background as an architect and being a spatial guy, rather than what I read or what I hear, actually seeing this in real time, you can talk all day about, oh, your hand should be here, the road side of there, and it's like, sure, okay. But once I actually see it, and you just describe this, and I'm watching this at the same time, I get it immediately, and then I can see the result in the next swing, and then I'm able to take that and then ingrain that visual response into my swing. For sure. That shank is a very painful moment of frustration. <laughs> so when you can see, when I come off of that line, when I get onto my toes, when I move into the golf ball and shank it, it makes that change easier to, to swallow. Oh, okay, I'm going to feel my arms tighter. I'm going to set up, which some people would have a very difficult time setting up outside the ball because they might feel they look silly. Or, oh, my, what, what is somebody going to say? But when you offset that with, I don't want to shank the ball anymore, because then I walk off the golf course because it's humiliating. Yes. Oh, okay. So I'll feel a little silly because I can play golf versus having to leave. Well, absolutely. Awesome. And as I told you, it's, I've never shanked a ball before, and it does get in your head. It didn't make me angry. It actually just made me sad because I love playing so much. And I see the improvement that I've had over the last year at Golf Tech. And then once it gets into your head, the fact you are working in a very positive way to remove that is bringing the joy back. So let's keep going. Should I hit another one? Yeah, for sure. All right. Beautiful. So if we take a look at this one now, and you'll see you take it to the top. Interesting, you're into that tush line now and staying on it. And look at those hands well inside. Yeah. Right? So that's great. So from the side view, all those good things are happening. The head is coming behind the hands. Everything looks in sequence. And then look at that face on. Everything stacked up on that lead side. Boom, that club trailing. Divot is just in front of the target side of the golf ball. That is phenomenal. Good stuff. I love the fact you actually gave me two things to think about, not 12, which is Beautiful. overwhelming. So just small little building blocks every step of the way as we go here. So thank you for that, Norman. And a quick update for you about my next round of golf following this lesson with Norman. Total number of shanks? Zero. Total number of holes in one? One. That's right, I got my first hole in one ever with a 122 yard pitching wedge. Even though the strong medicine Norman served up to eradicate my shank tasted bitter at the time, the sweet sight of seeing my ball in the hole was definitely worth it. So I highly recommend to visit www.golftech.com slash modgolf for $50 off a Golf Tech swing evaluation offer to begin your golf improvement journey. Golf Tech. Great golf starts here. The focus of the PGA fashion and demo experience is the apparel side of the golf industry, culminating with their live fashion show at the end of day one. But another aspect that is supported by both the PGA and Reed exhibitions is to support a platform of inclusivity that welcomes and encourages everyone to participate in golf. One of my previous episode guests is Gianna Rojas, known as the one-handed lady golfer. Gianna is the founder of Adaptive Golfers and is a tireless advocate for making golf accessible to those facing both physical and psychological challenges. Gianna was invited to the show by Reed Exhibitions and given boost space so that she and her colleagues could raise awareness by showing everyone how well they can hit the ball. I spent some time at Gianna's booth, where I had the chance to hear the inspiring golf and life story from one of her friends. 
I am sitting at the Adaptive Golfers booth, and for the listeners that heard my interview with Gianna Rojas, the one-handed lady golfer, she is here at the show. She's about to speak right now, so she's not here, but I am here with someone else that's also part of the Adaptive Golfers group, and that is Brett Lang. And with no further ado, I would love Brett to tell his story. Hi, Brett. Hi, Colin. Thanks for having me on your podcast show. And uh, my story begins about 10 years ago. I was involved in an automobile accident where a car had hit me while I was a pedestrian and left me with a few injuries, uh, to say the least, one of them being my right knee. I had knee surgery, and I had my spine uh, fused in a few spots and a couple other broken bones here and there. But the accident seemed to open up Pandora's box for something a little bit more, which was multiple sclerosis. So with this new demon that I have inside of me, I battled a little depression and other things to try to get back into the game of life more than anything else. I lost a lot of weight. I didn't have any aspiration to do anything. I locked myself in my house for eight of the ten years and became a hermit and it wasn't good. My health was failing miserably so failing kidneys and liver the doctor said I need to find some type of activity so I felt that maybe golf would be a good alternative for me since I couldn't do very much that would involve anything strenuous. So golf, where you're just standing still, I I was able to maybe take this on again. So about two and a half years ago, I wasn't very good. I was about a 35, 40 handicap when I first started. But today I brought it down to about a 10, 12 handicap. So we're, we're working good in that regards. But the disease itself was really debilitating and affected my right side of my body. So it was very difficult to get through the ball. But through adaptive golf programs such as Gianna's and uh, Joe Rogan with the Joe Rogan Foundation in Southern California, it brought new life for me and and new light to follow by. I now spend a lot of time volunteering with adaptive golf and teaching and seminars. I've gone to many different tournaments around the world and it's really served me well. And golf, it's saved my life and I've got back into it again and we've got the handicap almost to a single digit once again and maybe we can reach that goal by the end of the year. But to anybody out there that has a disability or some type of ailment that's keeping you from doing things, you need to get out, you need to do it. I know it's hard, it may be hard, but nobody better to tell yourself than you to get out there and do it. You may need a little inspiration. I'm hoping that maybe this will help inspire some people, Colin. Thanks for that, Brett. And it is inspiring and raising awareness. And we had this conversation last night, Brett, when we were out at Top Golf. just as far as the stigma that's still attached. I know that is melting away, and this is great, the fact that as far as mental health awareness and also physical challenges, those are now being more widely accepted in golf and in society. But could you share, I love this story, could you share the story you told me last night when you showed up as a single to get grouped with a bunch of golfers that maybe when they saw you walking on the first tee, perhaps weren't convinced that you should be playing with them. So tell us that story, Brett. Sure, Colin. Yeah, I was in Southern California, of course, where I live, and a local golf course. I was with one of the teaching pros at the driving range that I go to, and he had suggested maybe I try a game or two and get back into it because I've been hitting the ball so well. So I figured, yeah, let's go and try a game with this particular teaching pro. Ended up this teaching pro, uh, he had a full group, so I couldn't go with his group, forcing me to go either with the group ahead of him or behind him. I chose the one ahead of him, got paired up with three gentlemen, and they'd already hit their balls by the time I got up there. And I told him, I said, I'll try and get up here and hit it right away. And no sooner do I get out of my cart and I'm walking to the tee with my ball in my hand. And one of the gentlemen says, oh, hey, Brett, uh, gee, we noticed you had a disability and sure hoping that you can keep up with us today. Well, the instructor that I was supposed to golf with in the group behind us, he spoke up and yelled over, well, hey, he hasn't hit the ball yet. Let him hit the ball. Well, upon hitting the ball, I, needless to say, knocked the ball about 100 yards past these three gentlemen. They were quite shocked, and it didn't take long. About third hole, I did get an apology from them, saying that they never knew that a disabled golfer could golf this well. It was kind of one of those surreal things where I never had that happen to me before, where the disability was noticed to a point where somebody actually said something that I hope you can keep up. But it was so rewarding for me to be able to show them that I can. And not only could I keep up with them, but these guys told me at the end of the round they never were beat so bad by a person with a disability before. So it was kind of a feather in my cap. I don't look at it as a a downplay on what I'm doing, but 
at the time it kind of hurt a little bit, but getting the apology from them afterwards, it sewed everything back up and made it all worthwhile. I love that story. So you raised awareness and turned their mindset around 180 degrees three at a time there and I'm sure they've gone on to tell many many friends that story so that's had a multiple an exponential factor of more people understanding but on that note Brett you also shared with me that now you are giving back that you are out there speaking to wounded warriors veterans that are struggling with PTSD and physical challenges so you can tell me a bit about that how this has changed your life and I don't know if this is fair to say if this is an inappropriate way to put it please tell me and don't take this the wrong way but since you have been struggling with MS and seeing this 10 years forward, would you look at living your life any other way now that you've actually come through the other side, as difficult as it's been? So I know I asked two questions at once, but maybe you can touch on both of those. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Colin. Let's tackle the last one. I don't think I would want it any other way. This is the best way to do it. When I got this disability, with the depression that went with it, I suffered that for eight years. It wasn't pretty, it, w it was ugly, and I needed to get out, I needed to do something. It was golf that turned a new leaf for me, and being able to now allow myself to be that guinea pig, so to speak, for others to see, and I don't mind, it doesn't bother me anymore. When I walk on a golf course, everybody's gonna know that I'm disabled. But when I'm standing at that tee and I'm hitting that ball, you can't tell I'm disabled. So there's that flip of the coin factor here where, well, he looks disabled, but he hits the ball like he's a regular golfer. So I think that's kind of a feather in my cap in that regards, and hopefully that'll inspire others to do so. On the first part of your, your question, helping others and turning that new leaf, nothing gives me more pleasure than to give back to this game. I love playing the game of golf. I love a round of golf, but giving back to those less fortunate, that really hits home for me. I recently have joined the Joe Groman Foundation, so I do a lot of work with that and the Wounded Warriors. We do a once a month seminar at Camp Pendleton at the Marine Memorial uh, Golf Course. Yeah, we get a lot of guys there, you know, either missing arms, missing legs, PTSD. It's all part of showcasing me as one of those type of players with this disability to show the others, look at this guy with multiple sclerosis, look how well he hits the ball. It inspires these guys where they can see me doing it. I tell them the same thing, where I felt sorry for myself. You can't. You've, you've got to get out of that shell, bring it to life, come out to the golf course. I advise everybody with a disability to at least go and take a look or maybe go to a putt-putt, a little pitch and putt, and do something to start out baby steps. But give yourself a chance, give yourself an opportunity. Great way to get out to the public and be noticed again. That's another th a key thing is, is just being a part of something that other people enjoy and you can enjoy it too. Being a part of a social aspect like this, it's huge. And nothing better than the golf community to support it. Thanks, Colin. Wow, Brad, this is such a great story. Thank you for sharing this today. The work you're doing as an ambassador for adaptive golfers and everything else that you're doing in this space is helping to grow the game and it is changing lives. So thank you for sharing this and thank you for doing what you do, Brett. And thank you, Colin, for you and your podcasts and sharing our stories because without you, it doesn't get said as, as loudly as it should. Thank you very much. After talking to Brett, I decided to do one more quick lap of the show floor before getting ready for my speaking engagement. I managed to find two more innovative companies at the opposite ends of the golf industry spectrum who both had compelling stories to tell. So as I walk around the PGA showroom floor here, I had to stop at one particular booth because it does stand out. And this is the Dormy Workshop. I've got Jeff from Dormy, and I'll start with you, Jeff. Tell us what's going on here. What are you doing at Dormy Workshop? So at Dormy, we're making ideas come to fruition in leather on a head cover. Very nice. So Todd, I'll turn it to you. Can you expand on that to tell us exactly what it is you're providing and perhaps mention, Todd, your epiphany or your aha moment, why you guys decided this is what you're going to do with Dormy Workshop? Well, certainly we saw a lot of OEM branded covers and we started to think, well, we're not getting paid to support them. So why wouldn't we want to have something that's more important to our lives and rep ourselves or rep our children or use the cover as just a, a piece of art that would make our bag more enhanced? That's how it, the, the epiphany was. And we just couldn't find it. So that was the pain point. It just didn't exist. So Jeff, can you describe to our listeners some of the fabulous products that I'm looking at right here? 
Sure. Well, ones that really jump out and ones that we're having a lot of fun with. It, again, it started with a piece of leather and, and an idea and saying, let's do something that's creative. We love golf. We're both PGA pros. And then it was like, we all love art. And Todd's a painter. I, I took painting in college and, and business as well. But the ones that jump out right away are, we have a cactus cover. Taking leather and making it into something that doesn't look exactly like a cactus, but it's pretty close. We get a shark cover equipped with a fin on the back. We have a, a skull cover made from leather that is actually molded around a skull, and it actually gives a 3D effect. Not for every golfer, that one, but that's the point, is that these covers are made unique to ideas and whatever other people can imagine, right? What they think is cool. we got custom patches now, grenade cover, USA flag cover, Canadian flag cover. we got beer glasses, steins. I'm liking that one. As Canadians, we should. Bombs away covers. Bomb covers are really popular because people love hitting long bombs off the tee box. So I'm curious to hear this. When you started out with the idea and the passion to do this, and you guys live in the pain point, there's nothing out there that you wanted that really has that handcrafted, I guess artisanal, I guess I can use that word here, just like we apply to craft beer and a lot of other things that are in that realm. For your customers now, are you creating, is this your ideas, or are you getting people that then say, I want this, or is it some combination, Todd, thereof? It's definitely a combination of both. As Jeff had mentioned earlier, we're trying to bring ideas to life and the portal is through using leather, but our designers definitely have a knack for taking a really small idea and blowing it up into something that people are just wowed. We get great emails back because they never expected it was going to be that great, which is really fulfilling for our management team, our production team. Everybody loves to get those emails. I bet they do. So I will take some pictures, of course, of the, the wall of head cover fame that we have here so everybody, all the listeners can see exactly what you guys are doing at Dormy. Curious, of all the ones on here, what surprised you that got the most traction that, I don't even want to say, maybe went a little bit viral or that you've got a lot of feedback and now you've got a ton of orders from? What's your, your most popular one that surprised you, Jeff? There's two. The first one, it was our most likes ever. I mean, obviously, we're getting more likes now because we have more followers, but we've been doing what we call experiential covers, so taking things and making them into something else. So Guy had sent us a Louis Vuitton purse, which we tore apart, and yeah, <laughs> a lot of joy there. And then we made that into a Louis Vuitton set. It was pretty spectacular. And then the second one, which actually I was kind of surprised with, I don't know about you, but it is a shark cover. The shark cover had a, a ton of traction. I don't know, maybe it was Todd's witty comment that he put on it or maybe a good hashtag or something, but it definitely popped off a little more than ones that we've been putting up. Good stuff. Okay, we're going to scenario play here. I want my leather head cover with the Mod Golf Podcast logo and graphics on that. So I'm lost now, guys. Walk me through the journey and all the touch points that anybody, including myself, need to go through to make that happen. Yeah, so we've hired on a, another custom cover specialist. So used to just be coming through Jeff or myself. So in the original email, you'll exactly give us a logo and a little description of your base color and maybe some striping or attach a picture of a cover that you'd like it to look similar to. And we'll have Alex or Elliot make up a digital mock-up for you to approve. If you need an iteration or two, we can help fine-tune it. And that's really what the secret to success is, is getting that customer engagement and they get to become part of the design team really fulfilling on both parties. Oh, I bet it is. So very high touch level of engagement there with your customers. So what would the average turnaround time be on a piece, Jeff? It varies, but right now we ask for one to two weeks on custom stuff. Corporate doing larger orders for three to four weeks. So it's pretty fast for what you're getting, which is a custom made product specifically for you. Actually, I thought it was gonna be a lot longer than that. That's actually really, really good. I'm assuming then just ship right to your doorstep then? We have a great partnership with UPS, and so every package is tracked right from the moment we send it to the lands on the doorstep. So if I want a head cover that actually looks like my head with my hair, which desperately needs a haircut, you guys can make that happen too? My goal was to have a $1,000 head cover, and I think that would be the one. That thought is actually frightening. I, I just scared myself. It's like it's tough enough looking in the mirror already. That's why I have a face built for podcasting here and why I stick to this medium. So, hey, Jeff and Todd, thanks so much, guys, for this. Like I said, I'll put some pictures up. Love what you're doing. This is great. Have a great time at the show, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks for the time. 
I'm here with Chris Estes, who's the CEO of P2 Golf Products, and I am looking at a ball picker. For those that don't know what a ball picker is, I will let Chris describe that. And I'm really interested to hear, as Chris and I talked earlier, that this is a very competitive market in the ball picking space, if that's a term. I just invented that. So I really want Chris to talk about how they differentiate in the market. Tell a little bit about the history of the company, too. And Chris, yeah, tell us a bit about yourself also. Well, as he said, my name is Chris Estes, and yeah, we've been fabricating and manufacturing driving range equipment since 1983. We're somewhat new, direct to the public. A little back history, uh, my father invented the golf picker in uh, 83, and we've slowly tweaked and adjusted some things, and some of the benefits of our picker is that can reverse with ease without tangling your picker. That's pretty much us in a nutshell. We talked earlier, I found it quite interesting, not knowing this industry space at all, that apparently certain parts of the country, it's more competitive. You said especially in the Orlando area. So Chris, how you differentiate yourself, you did mention about being able to back up and reverse, but I'm also very interested with the pain points that some of your customers see rather than just all based on price. Sounds like one of the pain points that you relieve here is on the maintenance and the operation and be able to cut down that time. So rather than me try to explain that, maybe you can talk about how you show value for customers here with the products that you offer. Yeah, absolutely, Colin. So one of the things that sets us apart from some of the other pickers in the industry is that every single part on our picker is modular. You can take it all the way down to the nuts and bolts. What this does for your course is you don't have to send it back to your maintenance department to have it welded. Quicker return time out to picking balls and doing what you need to do. Every single part is modular. It's all bolt-on. There's no welding involved, and it provides a quicker turnaround for uh, your guys to get out there and do what they need to do. Good stuff. Chris, to finish up, so where can our listeners find out some information and take a look at the pickers? I'll take some pictures here, post them in the show notes, so we'll see the picker here at the show that you have. But where can people find you? They can find us at www.p2golfproducts.com and ask for Chris if you want to call at 844-682-2354. Chris, thanks for your time today. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Colin. Another apparel company I like because of their effort to create a new golf shirt category is Mizzen in Maine. Mizzen in Maine has created some buzz with their performance athletic long-sleeve dress shirts worn at a tour event by Phil Mickelson. Phil has appeared in a humorous Mizzen in Maine ad where he's busting out some dance moves while dodging golf balls in one of their shirts. I'll make sure to include the YouTube video link in the show notes for you. As you've heard, I spoke to a lot of golf startups and early growth companies of the PGA show, but I was curious to learn if some of golf's more established companies were embedding innovation and entrepreneurship into their business culture. I was happy to find out that they are. So I'm here with Bruce Compton, who is the Director of Sales for FootJoy. This company, everybody should know them in the golf industry, very well established, but they have an innovation culture that is almost unparalleled. So Bruce, I want to hand it over to you. Can you tell us about what's going on at FootJoy and talk about the innovation culture and your design process and some of the great things you guys have on the floor here today? Thank you, Colin. Yeah, we've been very fortunate in golf. We've been the leading manufacturer of footwear for over 50 years have been in that leadership position. Number one on tour, number one at the collegiate level, number one at the amateur level. So we really have been very fortunate to have a following. I think they've followed us because we have been continually changing footwear. Gone from traditional outsoles in the old days with leather and spike and steel spikes to the point today, the number one selling shoe for us is the Pro SL. And it's a spikeless, lightweight shoe, but it still has the stability and the structure that will help a tour player like Adam Scott, who generates so much club head speed, and yet it's still very comfortable for the average amateur to wear too. So they really have taken a path to go with new materials and for outsoles and uppers to take weight out of them, still give you the traction and performance, but a lot less traditional looking shoe than the old days. Fast forward from a couple of decades ago where you had a very traditional look, you certainly do not have that now. So I'm very curious as, as a designer myself in a different realm in architecture, I like to hear Bruce, how do you as a company, how do you reconcile the need from technical performance, style, and a contemporary look while still holding on in some way to the roots that really defines the culture and the brand of FootJoy? Good question, because it does. So there are a lot of traditional consumers still out there, and they come in looking for that classic look. Of, you 
you can't see this, but up on our shelf, we still have a very classic look for that consumer. The Dry Joy is a very traditional looking shoe. Zach Johnson wears that out on tour. And Justin Thomas still wears a very traditional saddle looking shoe. But our newest introduction is the Fury, which is a shoe that is really a technical athletic looking shoe. Lightweight materials and very much not a classic look. So we're trying to cater to both of those markets and they've done a pretty good job of being able to keep the traditional guy with us and also get that up and coming, more technical guy, if you will. Great answer there, Bruce. As you very well know, one of the largest unlocked markets that's going to be ascending over the next couple of years and decades is women in golf. How are you looking to align yourself with not only the line you have now, but also in the future? How do you position yourself as an apparel company and as a shoe company for the growing women's market? We've always been very fortunate. Our women's share is actually higher than our men's share. So we do sell a large amount of women's shoes and footwear, but we also have introduced our new ladies apparel line. It's on its third season now. The whole concept behind the uh, women's apparel line was at leisure kind of deal. So it's stuff they can wear to the golf course, outside of the golf course, to yoga, to any activity that they're really going to. The first three lines have sold extremely well, sold out. We've been looking for more product and hopefully that'll continue. And the men's line, same thing. We got into the men's line about six years ago and now it's the number one rated green grass apparel line in golf. So we've been fortunate to bring in, it's a traditional look with technical fabrics. So they've been able to combine the two and it's worked out really well. So being such an established company, it sounds like you have several different markets and customers, but it sounds like you're really taking an entrepreneurial approach that you're looking to unlock new markets and create a wider net to cast upon a golfing community. So with that, Bruce, you just touched on women. How about people that are just entering the game that are looking for their very first pair of golf shoes? Is that a market that you're looking to appeal to with a certain line? Or I'd just like to hear your thoughts on that, what you're doing now and maybe in the future. Absolutely. If you can get that customer or consumer right when he gets into the sport you have a huge advantage to keep him for the rest of the time he's playing in the game it's a challenge for all the companies out there to get to that new consumer he doesn't know FootJoy. maybe he doesn't know some of the brands that he doesn't know our market share and our strength so for those guys we've got to get product that appeals to them and looks that appeal to those guys and that's where the designers I think go after looks that are outside of golf traditionally and if you'll see some of our newer footwear is really a lot like some of the athletic footwear that you see there's a lot of booty construction there's a lot of mesh in the uppers a lot of lightweight a lot more color in some of those products less typically a brown and white shoe is number one selling shoe for the traditional player or a black and white you see a lot more color in those entry-level shoes and so hopefully that'll appeal to those newer players got it so i do not know this space at all so hopefully i'm not asking questions that are ignorant maybe those are the best question to ask and i get the best answers just want one more question for you bruce before we let you go you must have the data on this. How loyal and rabid are your shoe-wearing fans? Is there a lot of churn in this industry, or once you actually have them, do you find that to keep them and build that tribe, is that something you find that over the lifetime of their golf career that they will stick with the FootJoy brand? Fortunate for us, they do tend to. A lot of it's built around size and fit and comfort. You're walking 18 holes of golf. While it's not the most strenuous exercise, it is a lot of up and down the fairways. And guys know the foot choice who fits them. They know their last. They know the pattern that fits them. And you'll have customers that will have the same shoe for 20 years. Just update the new version. So we benefit from that in a great way, that guys are very loyal to their footwear. So keeping your fan base loyal and unlocking new markets sounds like you guys are truly innovative in that sense. Hey, Bruce, thanks for your time today. Really appreciate it. Good luck at the show. Colin, thank you. Appreciate it. So I am here at the Callaway booth, and they have all kinds of new innovative apparel going on here. So rather than me trying to explain it, I'm here with Alex. So Alex, tell us all about what's going on here at Callaway. Yeah, so here at Callaway, we pride ourselves on innovation. Our three pillars of our brand are authentic, performance-driven, and innovative. So those three pillars are how we think about creating product, how we think about selling product, how we think about marketing product. That is what we focus on. We make products for golfers. We're not a fashion brand. We're not an athletic brand. We're a golf brand. So we want to make sure that we're making product that helps golfers look better, feel better, play better. So the combination of the materials that we use, all of our shirts are poly span blend. So we've got at least 5% span in all of our shirts, added stretch. We have construction 
construction that allows for ease of movement in polos. We have new and innovative seaming in our shorts, active waistbands. So the combination of that and our new Tour Authentic line, which is our most advanced construction material lineup, this is built from merino wool, from Japanese polyester yarns, from Mongolian cashmere. This is our most innovative line. Everything that we've done, the attention to detail that was put into it, that is what differentiates that line, is the innovation, all the way down to the laser cut plackets, to the alloy buttons. There was innovation in every single piece that was put into this line, and that is why it carries the price tag it does and has the exclusivity of distribution that it does. So I know a lot of people throw around the term innovation these days, but I know with Callaway all the way through, whether it's with equipment or apparel, you guys live this, the culture from the top down from Chip. It is there, it's ingrained in what you do. Where do you guys go for inspiration with your apparel for the next year? Is it talking to existing customers, looking to unlock new customers, looking to other apparel industries or lifestyle segments to draw inspiration? I'm curious to hear the design thought that's put into what you guys are looking at and what could be in the seasons to come, Alex. Sure. So we have a top-notch design team that works so far in advance you wouldn't believe. They've already got initial runs at spring 2020 lines that we're reviewing next week. So they go out two to two and a half years in advance and they travel, they go to Europe, they go to Asia, they go to Australia, they go all over the U.S. and they go to golf courses, they go to fashion. They travel the world to find materials, to find new styles, to get inspiration on color. They're working so far in advance on building these lines, it's unbelievable. They really spare no expense and leave no stone unturned when it comes to finding the best in materials, style, construction. And I think it's clear in the products that you see that there's been a lot of time and energy put into it. So it blows me away seeing how far out that these lines are being designed and developed. And it's a testament to their ability to be able to predict style and color trends it really shows that they care about the line and they care about what they're doing and every little detail in it is a focus for them. So a couple more questions for you here, Alex. Also curious, knowing a bit about the culture at Callaway, would you consider that inside, even with the apparel team and the design team, there's a startup mentality in the sense that you're allowed to experiment and take some chances and feel that you know you can take some risks here without any, any type of blowback, that you can put that out there and explore ideas and then the best ones rise to the top? Is that the mindset of how you guys go about your design process? I think 100%. So we go through a variety of line reviews. You know, as I said, we're reviewing spring 2020 next week. So there's a weeding out process of here are the full array of styles. Those get cut down. And then you try to find, okay, we know these styles work. We'll have those. You'll have some that are middle, and then you'll have a few that are way out there. But the beauty with apparel is you can test these styles. We had a great example. We had a fully gingham polo in our spring 2018 collection, two colors, sold out immediately. And now we're launching this in spring 19 in 10 colors. So you can take something, find that it really works well, and then bring it in and make it a bigger initiative. Being able to test the waters in doing small fashion deliveries, as we do three spring and two fall fashion deliveries, you've got a variety of colors, keeping things fresh, keeping your styles fresh, and not seeing the same thing over and over. You don't want to go to your club and see 12 people wearing the same exact shirt because that's the only one that's there. You want to have variety. You want to have differentiation. So being able to do that and test and see, hey, this style blew it out of the water. Maybe we can explore making it a bigger way. And then being able to use that as your secondary testing ground because first and foremost, we do this for the consumer. We do it for the golfer. So we want to make sure that we're listening to their feedback and seeing what's connecting with them. I find it fascinating that you really do have a, a startup mentality within uh, a large company like Callaway. Your answer there is yes, you do embrace that startup mentality of design iteration also, is that you eliminate very quickly things that don't work, reduce some things that aren't working as well, raise or enhance others, and then create new things. Last question for you here, Alex. Seeing the Tour Authentic line, and we will get some pictures so we can post those to the show notes here so our listeners can see the amazing things that you're creating here. With the acquisition of Travis Matthew, is it fair to say that that has liberated you to laser focus now on a pure golf crowd and a golf customer rather than the lifestyle customer? And it seems to me, I've seen what you have here, I think I know the answer to this, but I'd like to hear that from you if that has in fact liberated you that you guys can actually do just that, focus on the golf crowd. 
Yeah, as Callaway Apparel, we want to be 100% focused on golfers. As I said before, we're a core golf brand. We're making products for golfers and golfers alone. With the Tour Authentic line, that would go to an area that if it went anywhere, it would go to a dressier line in that we don't do performance quarter zips. We do Mongolian cashmere v-necks. We do cashmere windstoppers. We do long sleeve merino wool with a dress shirt button on the sleeve. It goes to a little bit of a dressier style rather than a lifestyle, something you're going to wear out to the movies. You're going to a board meeting or you're going to a nice dinner at your club. That's where we go when we venture outside of purely on the golf course. I don't consider them a competitor at all. They do what they do. We do what we do. We just happen to both make polos. But they're for different people, and they're for different purposes. It just allows us to be able to cover a wider array of consumers that are interested in different products. So that's really how we think about it. Good stuff. So you're both staying in your own lane there. And they're awesome lanes, too, as as I can clearly see. Hey, so uh, Alex DiPaolo, Marketing Manager for Callaway Golf Apparel. Thanks very much for spending some time today on the Mod Golf Podcast. Thank you, Colin. I appreciate it. So that's a wrap for Season 4 on the Mod Golf Podcast. We'll be taking the next three or four weeks off to develop Season 5 so that we can bring you another dozen diverse and engaging episodes that cover the innovative future of golf. I want to express my gratitude to all the guests we had on this season. Without them taking the time to tell their compelling stories, the Mod Golf Podcast wouldn't exist. I also want to thank you, our listeners, our Mod Golfers, who are the fuel who power our engine. I'd love to hear from you as your comments and feedback help us improve with each episode that we publish. You can follow us on Twitter at ModGolfPodcast or email me directly to start a conversation. My email address is colin at ModGolfPodcast.com. I'm also very proud to state that we met our season goal to have at least half our episodes featuring female guests. We are trying to do our small part to support a culture of diversity and inclusion with the intention of continuing this next season and beyond. Before we go, I want to thank our Season 4 sponsor partners, We are proud to have Golf Tech as our title sponsor, along with supporting sponsors Fairway IQ, British Columbia Golf, and Nextlinks. Without their generous support, the Mod Golf Podcast wouldn't be able to bring you these unique golf innovation stories. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find more of our golf innovation stories on previous ones at www.mod.golf or search Mod Golf Podcast on iTunes. And please rate, review, and subscribe to the show while you're there. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Thanks so much for joining me, and I'll be back in a couple of weeks with Season 5. Bye for now.